You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, February 26, 2024. Well, in the past, people usually would think of libraries as a collection of books, but it's much more than that now. The money they receive from us really covers most of the programming, which you wouldn't see without the work that we do to raise those funds. That's Patsy Ron from Friends of the Library, the volunteer-powered foundation that helps the Monroe County Public Library do lots of cool stuff. Learn more later in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. During the February 21st meeting of the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees, Director Greer Carson provided his monthly report touching on the temporary closure of the Southwest Branch. The closure happened due to extreme cold temperatures in January when an exhaust vent froze overnight causing large amounts of water to be distributed to about one-third of the Southwest Branch, according to the library's website. All right, we'll start with some uh, updates on our Southwest closure. We are currently in the midst of a long insurance investigation involving all parties. That's MCPL, Strasser Construction, Matthew Architects, numerous subcontractors, all from the original branch construction project. Our insurance subrogation reps have been on site regularly since late January and are working with us and our contractors and subs to make their final determination as to the claim. It has been a long five weeks so far, but my understanding is that with a claim this large, this is typical pace of work and everything hinges on what our claim will ultimately cover. Once we get approval from insurance, we will engage our restoration company and immediately order Uh, replacement flooring and other materials so that we can begin work as soon as the claim is finalized. So for the time being, we have posted an interim public message asking for everyone's continued patience as we work to complete the claim process and begin restoration. In the meantime, our Southwest staff continue to work across the system uh, alongside peers and other departments and branches, focusing on program planning and execution, community partnership development, and continuing desk shifts and collection maintenance work. This week, they began boxing and storing the Southwest collection so as to clear the main floor at the branch and thereby expedite the reflooring work, which is soon to come. And as of this afternoon, our Southwest team, with the help from numerous public services and leadership staff, have actually completed the boxing and storing of the entire Southwest collection. So the second we're ready to get rolling with restoration, they can, uh, they can move unimpeded. Um, And the Southwest Collection is now officially closed to the public in terms of placing holds, which is okay because it's pretty much a duplicate collection, and patrons have been instructed to use downtown Ellettsville or outreach for holds pickup. And about an hour ago, I received some good news from insurance that they are approving the ordering of the replacement materials and signing on with our restoration company right now, so we can get that ball rolling as of tomorrow morning. So we're moving as fast as we can. Um, but it's not a fast train. And we will have a soft commitment as to a date for reopening once we have restoration uh, nailed down and the materials ordered. 
Board Secretary Carrie Essery asked whether the entire floor was damaged. Carson responded. Was the entire floor damaged? No, but enough of the floor was damaged that it's unlikely we're going to get the product that matches exactly like, you know, the same dye lot and all of that. And if we have a discrepancy in, in color or tone, then we might as well do the whole floor. And if insurance covers the whole floor, then we're going to do the whole floor. Board trustee Catherine Lozer said that she missed last month's meeting and was unclear on what happened to cause the water damage. Carson explained the series of events that caused the damage to the Southwest branch. Since I missed a meeting, what actually happened? I mean, so are, where we, is the flaw in the system that was to protect? The flaw that? in the system was a damper on the roof, which is part of the HVAC system that lets out air and lets in air. It froze in the open position after a lot of rain followed by plummeting temperatures to something like 30 plus degrees over a 24-hour period, froze in the open position, let too much cold air into the HVAC system. When the boiler kicked on, cold air meant the hot, busted a pipe, and then we had water drained down into the lounge area. Um, a unique thing to happen, a fluke to happen, or was it a flaw in the whole system? That uh, is part of what they're going to determine. That's what their investigation is about. Yeah. Do you have a sense that people are pointing fingers to say it was this person's or this uh, contractor's? Not, no? not okay. as much as we worried, um, but we'll know when we get to We have a meeting next week for some further investigation in the HVAC system and the drywall, and at that point we may get a sense that Somebody's going to say it's an insurance claim and someone else is going to say it's warranty and it's a faulty product or faulty installation. So we're coming up on that point pretty soon. But so far, all of the parties have been working together really well. So it's highly unlikely that we would have to suffer any of the cost. Correct. Good. But it's a long time being closed yeah. with our precious new building. The library says on its website, quote, our team is working hard to determine the needed repairs as well as the possible reopening date. Stay tuned for continued updates within the next few weeks, end quote. The Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees will meet again for its regular session on March 20th. The Bloomington Board of Zoning Appeals met on February 22nd. The board heard a petition for a property on East Hillside Drive. Case Manager Eric Rulick walked through the petition. This is a request um, for Adam and Ellen Rodkey um, for a property that they own at 1200 East Hillside Drive. Um, the petitioners are here tonight to request a variance from the maximum allowed driveway width and number of drive cuts allowed uh, to allow for a new drive cut in the residential medium lot uh, R2 zoning district. Um, so this is for a property at the southeast corner of Hillside and Olive. Uh, it is owned single-family residential, um, residential medium lot, uh, and has been developed with a single-family lot with a drive cut on Hillside Drive to the north and a drive cut on Olive to the west. Uh, the drive cut kind of spans between uh, the two streets in a, a very um, unique and awkward uh, arrangement. Um, and so the city is coming forward with some improvements to the intersection of Hillside and Olive uh, that will substantially alter and remove a lot of the parking that is immediately adjacent to this property. Um, so the petitioners have explored different ways to secure at least one more parking space. Um, there is very limited right of way along Olive Street between the building and 
um, the right-of-way line um, in order for them to expand the driveway that they have now uh, would not be possible without placing uh, more of that parking within the right-of-way. Um, so the intersection improvements would remove the area where the asphalt is and where the truck is parked now um, and reduce it to just the concrete drive cut um, that is there. Um, they would be widening that intersection to allow for a dedicated turn lane. It's only uh, about one lane wide now, uh, as well as installing new pedestrian crossing improvements, um, sidewalk, or I'm sorry, uh, crosswalks, as well as uh, signals um, for pedestrian uh, push button access uh, for lighting there to help promote safe access across Hillside Drive. Grulick continued to outline the details of the request, saying that the staff recommends approval. Um, so as I mentioned, the petitioners have explored different possibilities to create one more parking space. Um, the property is certainly unique in the, uh, the width of the property, but more specifically, how much land is there between the building and the street. Uh, it's only about 12 feet deep um, between the, the deck. Uh, and the right-of-way line. Um, as I mentioned, they're, they're removing all, we are removing all of the parking along uh, the Hillside Drive access, so that drive cut is being removed. Um, so they, they do still have the concrete driveway that is in front of that garage that I showed previously. Um, however, the depth of that and the width doesn't allow for that to be widened. Um, so they are requesting to create one parallel parking space that is immediately uh, adjacent to Olive Street um, this would be the best arrangement that would guarantee or get one more parking space. Um, it would not create another drive cut on Hillside. In fact, this petition would be removing that drive cut on Hillside Drive um, and would allow them to kind of make use of the property. There is a lot of grade change uh, that you can see in that street view image uh, with the retaining wall and uh, the grade change kind of happens. Olive Street goes up in elevation as you go north. Um, and so the parallel space was the best arrangement that would minimize impacts to the property, still allow for one more drive on the property. So there would be a maximum of two um, on this property, which is certainly typical and, and customary for a single family use. Um, and so they are requesting the variance to allow for two drive cuts because uh, property is only allowed one drive cut uh, that would be 18 feet wide. Um, so they are requesting the variance to allow two drive cuts um, and for that width to be more than the 18 feet. Um, so this is to accommodate the existing drive cut that's about 10 feet wide plus to 22 foot that would be proposed for the new parallel space. Um, so with this, you know, we do make findings in our staff report. Um, you know, we do not find that this approval will be injurious to the public health, uh, safety, morals. Conversely, it would be increasing that because we are removing a drive cut from Hillside, placing it on the lower classified street. Um, so this would improve driver safety. Um, we do not find any uh, adverse impacts on the use and value of Jason to the area. Um, you know, it's still a single family use. Uh, the number of drive cuts uh, or the number of parking spaces that are allowed would still be two, um, which is customary for a single family residence. Um, and then the unique conditions uh, that are peculiar to the property in question, uh, we do find that there are several. Um, one is the lack of right-of-way or the space between the building and the right-of-way line. Um, the topography along here that does not allow for uh, any new spaces to be created within this property um, and working with the existing topography there um, and that it could not be widened because there's just not enough frontage on Hillside Drive uh, in order to create any new spaces there. So we do find several
several conditions that are peculiar to the property that do present uh, practical difficulty. Um, and so with that, we are recommending approval of this variance request with the one condition that is listed in staff's report, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Petitioner Ellen Rodkey explained why she and her husband are making this request for variance. I think Eric covered it. Um, Adam and I have lived in this home since um, 2007. It's our primary residence, and with the proposed work for the Weatherstone Hawthorne Greenway and then that how that then impacts that intersection. Um, we're just hoping that we can find a way to get that second parking space. Um, it's not uncommon to have two cars for a single family home, especially um, in Bloomington. And so um, just happy to answer any questions, but thanks for considering the request. The board approved the petition unanimously. The next Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting has been scheduled for March 21st. At the Monroe County Redevelopment Commission meeting on February 21st, County Attorney Jeff Cockrell gave a presentation on the potential residential TIF district to support the ARPA affordable housing project. Maybe I'll give a little, little background. Uh, when we were looking at ARPA funds and, and their use, one of the ideas that were that was explored and the county commissioners and county councils decided. Jeff, explain what ARPA funds are for. People ARPA, might not know that. Uh, the ARPA is the American Rescue Plan Act funds, and those are funds that the county received a considerable amount um, in the neighborhood of $28 million. Wow. Uh, that is That was is to be utilized for uh, pandemic and pandemic-related expenses. Um, including with those are things that uh, you know, impacted communities, impacted demographics, and That's those kind of county things. Wide. It's countywide. It's um, countywide. City received a share. Also received a share. Every county in Indiana received a share. Okay. But they were all different amounts. So, so, okay. so as well, I just want to make clear, if anybody's listening, we might not know what we're talking about. <laughs> I, acronyms are are useful, yeah. but sometimes overused. Right? That's right. So I understand. Okay. Um, so we discussions with the county council and the county commissioners. Um, they allocated up to three and a half million. Um, they said, "Go find us a project. We want to do an affordable housing project." And so we had some. We 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 being staff had narrowed down to about five or six different projects, and we. We had an executive session with the council and the commissioners to say, hey, which one of these do we want to do? At that point in time, we had anticipated having to purchase property in order to uh, make this happen. And so as I go through this, I'll explain how we're off a little bit from that, that original assumption. Um, so the, the page that's on the screen is a is a aerial of the area we're looking at. Um, it's the hashed mark area just off uh, state, Old State Road 37. It contains approximately 11 acres. Um, if you look at this to the west is, uh, is the addition that a Tom Wainers groups. I always call it SEMO, but I'm SOMO. SOMO, and then it's close to the Clear Creek Elementary School. Um, and so it, just north on this map would be the Kroger off South Walnut Street. And so this is the project that the council and the commissioners wanted us to pursue um, for 
I think the biggest reason they, they, they really like this project is because there's an existing home on the site that we are trying to work with local operators to convert into a daycare facility. So, so that that's something that was different from this one than what we were looking at with some of the other sites. Commissioner Richard Martin brought up that a similar had been denied and asked if this housing project was going to be located in a similar area. Commissioner Randy Cassidy said that the prior development was on land that was zoned for single-family homes and did not get approval to have paired patio housing. There was somewhere in this area another petition that included a lot of these paired homes and quints and quads that seemed not to get accepted. And they had to end up going back to single family homes. Is that in an area similar to this? That area is, and I think it's the SOMO? I think oh, that would, yeah, okay. SOMO, SOMO, which is just to the, here's the area we're talking here. Make sure I got this right. Okay, yeah, here's the area we're at. This is SOMO which is at the intersection of that road right. and Rogers. This area, this is College Drive here. This area here, SOMO went through and they're a nine, I think they're a 92 lot subdivision with single family homes that are selling somewhere between the 400s and 500 thousands. He had petitioned for that to end up being a paired patio type situation right. at the time. Right. And that was turned down and he's went back and did the buy right, right. 92 units. So the question mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. what gives us the, the confidence that we could do another paired patio project in the same area and not get the same result? Cockrell explained that this land was already zoned for this number of units rather than a single family residence. I, I, I think the, is that this is already zoned for this many units, right? This is not adding units that couldn't currently be put there with the current zone. Martin asked for clarification on what the Redevelopment Commission's role would be. Cockrell outlined that the job of the Redevelopment Commission for the project was to decide whether or not a TIF district would be beneficial to help fund more infrastructure in the area to entice residents to move to the area. So what is the role of the Redevelopment Commission in this project? I guess the role of the redevelopment commission in this project is to look at this area to see if there are needs in this area that the increment from a residential TIF could help um, increase the available habitable affordable housing and make the, the housing more attractive. Um, and that would include kind of your standard infrastructure ideas. It could also include kind of some of these other things we're talking about with homeowner down payment assistance and residential maintenance assistance, those kind of concepts. Martin suggested that they schedule a meeting with the planning department to ascertain whether or not a TIF district in the area would be feasible and beneficial. From our perspective, we need to look at a broader area to see if creating a residential TIF 
of significant size is a viable thing to do here. Mm -hmm. That sounds like that's what we need to do. Okay. So we then would have to work with the planning staff to look at what kind of an area might be suitable. That seems like the next step. The next Monroe County Redevelopment Commission meeting will be held on March 20th. Basic services provided by public libraries are funded by taxes, but all the cool stuff happening inside them is not. Book clubs, teen rec spaces, exhibits, and special events, all of those things and more are supported by volunteer-powered library foundations. At the Monroe County Public Library, that foundation is called Friends of the Library, and board member Patsy Ron is looking for a few more library lovers to join the board. Patsy is our guest this week on a new episode of Activate, coming your way right now on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Patsy Ron, and I'm president of the board for the Monroe County Public Library Foundation. And we're also known by the name Friends of the Library. We support the mission and the values of our Monroe County Public Library. And right now we happen to be looking, we're open for a couple new members to join us on the board. As a nonprofit public library, they do receive some public funding. The money they receive from us really covers most of the programming, which you wouldn't see without the work that we do to raise those funds. Well, in the past, people usually would think of libraries as a collection of books, and a library is a collection of books, but it's much more than that now. We have things like a library of objects, a library of things, so if people wanted to take out a, a cooking kit, they could, and we have programs for walking through the woods, and there are stops along the way to read books. That's a walking story time, and we have book clubs for adults and for kids. We have teen spaces, which are fantastic, and we have been flooded with teenagers coming to these teen spaces after school. There are all sorts of programs that our wonderful library staff comes up with that are tailored to fit all sorts of people at all sorts of ages. They're so community-oriented, and they really create ideas that fit the needs of people in the community. Well, as a board, it's a wonderful board. We're very active, we're very hands-on. We do a lot of work in communities, so you really get to know a group of people. And we have monthly board meetings. We have projects that we do, which are fantastic, like The Power of Words, which takes place every couple of years at the Buzzkirk Chumley. Special guest comes, an author. We have Armstrong exhibit, where we put on an exhibit of art from children's books. We have Coffee with Friends, which I'm sure many people have come to, and we have a author come and talk to you, and you can talk to them, and you can ask questions. They'll sign a book for you. I mean, 
these things connect us and specifically the work we do as a foundation board with the public. And it's wonderful to do that kind of outreach. When we raised money for the new Southwest branch, that was a good $600,000, it was wonderful to know that we did that and we're going to see in the next year or so what that money goes to to get for that new branch, that new library. So if you want to be on this board, and we hope to find a couple of people to be on the board, that's why I'm talking today. <laughs> that entails a dedication, some time, good energy, to help us in our committees, to help us reach out to other people. But if you're interested, you know, we all love the library. We're excited by what the library can do for the public. And it's exciting to help the library be as creative and as innovative as it is because we can help them to fund those ideas and get them to be a reality. Other ways you might want to be involved that don't have to do with the board, we're always in need of volunteers here and there as we do different projects. We're always looking for people to help at our big book sales that we do twice a year. So if you're interested in that, we'd love to hear from you. You can always just contact us from the website. So the website for the library is mcpl.info, I-N-F-O. When you're there, go to the About tab in the upper right side. The menu will come down. Go to support, click on that. You'll see something that says friends, click on that. And again, the website for the library is mcpl.info. Again, I'm Patsy Ron. I'm president of the board for the Monroe County Public Library Foundation or Friends of the Library. And if you are interested in keeping our library strong and growing, let us hear from you. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. With production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems, encouraging independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young, Elise Perry, Kelsey Pease, and Noelle Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Action Television Services. Activate is produced by Chad Carruthers and Michelle Moss. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB News, Abe Shapiro, Live and Learn. And I'm Brandon Blewett. 
Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe now to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Spectrum, a program exploring the worlds of science and technology. Coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 